in France, politicians have politicized the pandemic. It's been the case in, in a lot of places. And so whatever the government in place is going to do, it's going to be criticized by his opponents on all sides. You just heard Estelle Brun, a researcher at the Institute for Strategic and International Affairs in Paris. We called her last week because the French presidential election is coming up with the first round of voting on the 10th of April. We'll walk you through the candidates a bit later in the program. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the inoculation. This is our 24th episode. My name is Eva von Schaper. And my name is Daiva Repechkaite. We are very excited to present the first results of our work that kept us busy for months. Do you want to tell our listeners what kind of work that was? Yeah, so we had to learn to analyze massive amounts of tweets because we were interested in what debates happen on Twitter among politicians as they prepare for different elections in Europe and how vaccination features in those debates. But then just looking at tweets wasn't enough because that would would be very uh, anecdotal and maybe biased. So with a data mentor, we developed a code that can automate our analysis. Exactly. And for a lot of the European countries, I think we have five so far, we looked at all of the members of the country's uh, parliament. So uh, in Germany, we looked at the Bundestag and we looked at Portugal and Austria and France. But now for France, what we did, we only looked at the 12 candidates who are actually going to run for French president and not everyone who uh, is in the Assemblée Nationale. Yeah. and. They seem to be talking about a lot of different uh, topics. Uh, Of course, Russia's war in Ukraine features prominently in the debates. But since we're interested in vaccination, it seems that they've been talking about uh, vaccination and vaccine mandates a lot. Is that right? Yeah, one of the things we saw is that we have a number of far-right candidates in France in this round of the presidential election. Um, And one of our findings is really that they talk about vaccination a lot. They talk a lot about, uh, for example, the French vaccine passport. Wait, so when we talk about French far-right candidates, I think everybody knows Marine Le Pen. So do you mean uh, her followers and her party? Well, Marine Le Pen was, um, and I think her father, Jean-Marie Le Pen, they were were really the first uh, enter the national stage. But um, now we ha- we see many more, and they're trying to outdo each other and almost make Le Pen seem as an establishment party. Um, we asked Estelle about this, and this is what she told us. Not only did we learn to live with her and her party, but now we have even worse candidates. So it even makes her look better, which obviously is very painful to admit, because she is not, uh, she shouldn't be better than, than anything or anyone. There is a correlation, just like in the United States, between anti-vaccine sentiments in general and uh, far-right or right-wing uh, voters or politicians. So I'm not surprised that she said um, things against vaccines generally before. Um, what is interesting today is that she is 
not against the vaccine, I would, I, I think. Uh, she's obviously against the fact that it would be enforced because there's always this uh, idea of uh, unlimited freedom uh, in, in the far right for obviously a certain kind of people, uh, not everyone. And then she has uh, other far right politician counterparts who are much more outspoken against the vaccine and who are spreading much more misinformation. There's also uh, Florian Filippo, who used to be actually in her party. Uh, they used to be very tight and he's been out on protest every weekend against the vaccine. So we have uh, people within the, the far right side that are much more against the COVID vaccine specifically. Okay, so we'll get to that right away. And did Estelle tell us why politicians are doing this? So she is researching how far right candidates are trying to frame Frenchness and French identity in a completely different way. And French identity, in fact, is her main interest. And she says that the way they see French identity is very different from the way it is traditionally seen by the French Republic. Every time I hear them, when they talk about Frenchness, when they talk about French identity and defending French identity, I don't know what they mean because my lived experience of Frenchness, and I want to point out that I, I am white and I am traditionally Christian, so I am privileged in many ways in this French society, is not what they are describing when I listen to music. When you look at the top 50 in France, there is so much diversity. There are a lot of people, uh, rappers that are from Marseille, that are from the suburbs of Paris, and that represent us in this way. And French rap is, is a very powerful industry in the world. It's very famous. And then when I look at sports, when I go to the stadium, the Nice stadium to watch my football team, I see a lot of diversity on the field. And so when you look at popular culture, which is culture as well, it is national culture, I see a very diverse, um, and I wonder what they mean when they say they want to define Frenchness. And I think they just want to defend an idea of what France used to be and probably has never existed either. But the, the main problem to me of, of the far right regarding national identity and national culture is that they think that it is stuck in time. Right. Okay. So let's look at the candidates. So as we know, Emmanuel Macron right now is the incumbent and um, he's trying for a shot at a second term. Voters will go to the polls in the first round of the presidential election on the 10th of April, and assuming that nobody wins a majority, which uh, is projected to happen, the top two candidates will take part in a runoff two weeks later. So let's just see who we have. So there's 12. We're not going to look at all of them because some just didn't play a large role in our research. So of course, uh, we have Emmanuel Macron, who's the president. He's running against Marine Le Pen, uh, Rassemblement National. She took over the party Front National that her, that her father, Jean-Marie Le Pen, founded. And she's been trying to get it closer to the mainstream for the past few years. So she was runner-up 
in 2017, the last time uh, the French people elected a president and then renamed her party as uh, Rassemblement National or National Rally. Um, then we have Valérie Pécresse of Les Républicains. So she was the first ever um, female candidate uh, chosen by the right-wing Republicans. And she looked like a, a potential contender, but she's only been doing so-so in the polls since then. But she has some contenders, right? <laughs> okay, we have Eric Zemmour of the party Reconquête, which means reconquest, which you can imagine means taking back France. Um, he's a journalist, author, and a TV commentator. Um, and he's known for inciting racial hatred. He burst onto the political scene just last year in 2021 to promote a book that basically laments the decline of France, which he blames on immigration and Islam. And apparently he also opposes vaccine passports in France. Other uh, right-wing candidates are Nicolas Dupont-Aignan, He's uh, the founder of the Debout la France, Arise France party, and Florian Philippot, who founded the Patriot, and he used to be a member of uh, Rassemblement National with Marine Le Pen. He's also um, running on um, the idea of a Frexit or France withdrawing from the European Union. And while migration is very prominent in, in their debates, we can also see that the only uh, unvaccinated candidate, and proudly so it seems, is from that group. So that's uh, Nicolas Dupont-Aignan. So what did we find in our analysis? Let's just take a look at what we did. Could you, could you explain to our listeners how we went about finding these hashtags and um, picking the ones to analyze? Yeah, so... Uh, first of all, uh, you have com compiled a list of all the candidates, and I think for whoever is following the election, it's uh, quite useful to follow that list on Eva's uh, Twitter account. But then we also downloaded all of their tweets for the past four months. And then when we ran our code uh, to analyze these tweets, we found that... Uh, Actually, they had very different levels of uh, Twitter activity. Some of them posted thousands of tweets. Others uh, counted their tweets more like in the hundreds. Right. And I think what's really interesting is that uh, Zemmour is extremely active on Twitter. Yeah, he is. I don't know what his social media team, if he has one, looks like, but they've, they've been really active. And this is paying off because the, his account is getting a lot of uh, retweets and favorites. Of the total sample of tweets that we collected, uh, the median favorites that he gets per tweet is over 2,000. And that's more than the acting president Emmanuel Macron. Exactly. And I think we shouldn't forget that Macron has something like 8 million followers on Twitter and Zemua has around 300,000. So you see, he gets a lot of engagement from his followers. He's also more retweeted compared to the acting president and more retweeted than any other candidate. Okay, and if we look at the analysis of the hashtags, um, I think one interesting thing to look at is how did we pick the hashtags to analyze? Yeah, so Twitter logs hashtags uh, and we can uh, uh, scrape the data for each tweet about which hashtags are present. And we counted which hashtags 
feature the most uh, um, prominently, so which hashtags are mentioned uh, the most frequently, then we came up with a sort of uh, list of top hashtags. But uh, since a lot of candidates were tweeting about themselves and uh, hashtagging their name and their party, we tried to exclude those and uh, we tried to see what is it that is not specific to each candidate in terms of hashtags. And did we find a lot of hashtags that had to do with the vaccine or vaccine passport? Yes. So in fact, uh, pass vaccinal is one of the top hashtags. And if you combine the different spellings, you will get more than 150 tweets in our sample using this hashtag. For comparison, Ukraine has 183 mentions. When we look at the tweets specifically about uh, vaccines, we again meet uh, Eric Zemmour. Yes, and it's quite, I'm looking at the numbers now. He has over 2,000 vaccine retweets uh, compared to Emmanuel Macron, 774, and, um, you know, way down to 47.5 by Anne Hidalgo, who's the uh, mayor of Paris, who's also a candidate this year. Zemmour has six and a half thousand favorites so again he has a lot fewer followers than macron and he's still getting this engagement yeah so it's important to note maybe uh, this uh, sounds technical but we, we use the median values so actually we try to neutralize the effect of some candidates tweeting more than others so we picked or we asked our code to pick uh, the tweet in the middle so this uh, presents us with a point of comparison among the candidates, those that tweet a lot and those that tweet uh, uh, much less. And the difference in the numbers is quite striking. And as you said, the median tweet of Eric Zemmour gets uh, several times more retweets and slightly more favorites than the tweets about vaccines from the acting president. Since we're talking about median, I always like to say, what is the difference between median and average? I think it's very good to say, you know, on average, both Bill Gates and I are billionaires. Exactly. So I guess if if we took the median between the two of us and Bill Gates, um, yeah, the median would, would, uh, would be a more accurate uh, representation in this reality because it would be one of us whoever earns more. (laughs) So we'd all come out as billionaires, but. (laughs) So that's why we use the median. And again, this, uh, this shows us when we compare that all the right wing candidates that you just mentioned are in the upper half of our list of French candidates. And I think one question is important. Can we say we don't really know what they're tweeting about? Maybe they're tweeting about extremely positive things about the vaccine passport. Well, for this, we looked at uh, their positions as presented in debates on on television and uh, elsewhere. And we also looked at, at a sample of some of their actual tweets. But also it might make sense that we in a future... Uh, in future, also maybe do some sentiment analysis to uh, to be sure that these tweets are are negative. We assume that they're negative because we we looked at their platforms um, and we looked at some of the tweets. Um, but we have to be honest and say we're not 100% sure, and we would probably still have to do sentiment analysis before we we end our investigation. What we do know is that uh, they got more engagement, whatever they said about vaccination, 
they got more engagement than uh, than the non-right-wing candidates, that the centrist and the left-wing candidates comparatively. And when we compared their tweets about uh, vaccination and about the coronavirus, they were also getting more engagement compared to the total uh, sample of tweets. So when they were t- tweeting about the war in Ukraine or climate change or any other topic that might be relevant in this election, the median engagement for these right-wing candidates was lower than the engagement they were getting when they tweeted about vaccination. Okay, this is very interesting, I think, because it does show that uh, tweeting about vaccination uh, does give right-wing candidates an advantage. And I think we asked Estelle about this too. Now we have the vaccine pass, what we call is the symbol of um, for the far right and to some extent for the far left as well, oppression of the state, of the government um, and its possibility of limiting our freedom in many ways and in legal ways. Um, and so that has been instrumentalized by the far right as an example of the limitations of democracy, which is very, very convenient for them because they don't play by democratic rules. They already don't. They lie, they exclude. Uh, so everything that's about equality, you know, in French, it's uh, freedom, equality, fraternity. <laughs> that's our motto. They obviously go against it. And right now they're doing it in a subtle way. And so for them, it's very convenient to show the flaws in their eyes of democracy, because eventually they want to argue that democracy isn't the best thing for us because they are not democratic parties at heart. She also told us that the pandemic has given right-wing contenders an advantage overall. What was very fortunate for the far right is that they want to go against the the system. They're they're against the the system. And the system, the government, was forced to do things that we've never seen before, just like very long lockdowns. In France, they were very strict, lasted for a very long time. And we've had a curfew uh, at 6 p.m. for some regions in France in, in 2021 as far as I remember, for at least six months or six months, it was very, very long. And so that was definitely, no one can argue against it, a limit of our freedom. You know, that that was very limiting for us. Uh, That was coming from a never-seen-before situation of a global pandemic where hundreds of thousands of people were dying and we didn't know what would come next if we didn't act now. And that really helped the far right saying, look what the system is doing there. We've been saying it forever. You have to go against it. They are abusing you and they're abusing your freedom. They're willing to go as far as canceling your liberties of going out outside at night and we'll never do that. So I think they've been using the the pandemic and the restrictive policies as a way of showing that's what you get when you vote for the system. The system is always going to abuse you and go against it. This is something that we've been seeing in our other data. 
Um, we're going to start presenting data from other countries in the coming weeks, especially Portugal was quite surprising. And I think we'll look at that in the next episode of our podcast. Exactly. And what we will also see there is that the debates in France that we just discussed today are influencing the debates other countries are having. And before we leave, I just wanted to remind you that everything we talked about and links to our script will be added to our website so that you can find them if you want to take a look for yourself. We'll also add a transcript um, for those of you who prefer to read what's in the podcast than to listen. If you want to hear more stories about vaccine hesitancy, you can look up the inoculation wherever you'd like to listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter, Inoculated. You can find the link in our show notes. This investigation was supported by IG4EU. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And let us know what you think about this episode. Bye for now. Bye.